Welcome to the A Catholic Life Podcast. I am Matthew, the author of A Catholic Life, welcoming you to episode 46 of the A Catholic Life Podcast. In today's episode, on the Sunday within the octave of our Lord's Nativity, I'm happy to address the following topics. First, the upcoming feast days this week. We have St. Sylvester today. We have the Feast of the Circumcision of our Lord tomorrow followed by the Feast of the Holy Name of Jesus and more this week. And I would be remiss if I did not mention today as New Year's Eve and the special indulgences that we as Catholics have available for us both today and tomorrow. Secondly, I address the Forgotten Vigil of the Epiphany, which we will celebrate this upcoming Friday, January 5th, as well as the uh, traditions for Epiphany Tide. The Feast of the Epiphany is this coming Saturday, January 6th. And lastly, I address a recent article I wrote for the Fatima Center entitled, Why Catholics Are Not Modern Pharisees. But before we dive into these topics, I would like to stop and thank the sponsor for today's episode. This episode is sponsored by PrayLatin.com. PrayLatin.com offers Latin prayer cards to learn and share prayers in the sacred language. Learn your basic prayers in Latin conveniently on the go. Practice your pronunciation with easy-to-follow English phonetic renderings of Latin words. PrayLatin.com offers prayer cards in various formats, including Latin-English rosary pamphlets with the traditional 15 mysteries. Shop for additional Latin resources like missile booklets, server response cards, and much more. Please visit PrayLatin.com today and thank them for being a sponsor for the A Catholic Life podcast. On to the first topic of today's episode. Today is the feast of Pope St. Sylvester I, and it is, of course, also the Sunday within the octave of our Lord's Nativity. What's interesting, as I mentioned in the episode last week, that if December 26th, 27th, and 28th were previous to 1960 to fall on the Sunday within the octave of Christmas, that the feast specific for the 26th, 27th, or 28th, that is St. Stephen, St. John and the Holy Innocents, respectively, would actually take the place of the Sunday. That is not the case for the Feast of St. Sylvester, which occurs today. So St. Sylvester's uh, Mass is not celebrated today. We, when we went to Mass today, it would be for Sunday within the octave of the Nativity. But St. Sylvester is certainly worth mentioning. And in times past, his feast day was actually a holy day of obligation. We can see that in the list that Pope Urban VIII put together in 1642. St. Sylvester is on there. Now, St. Sylvester was born in Rome, And when he reached the age to dispose of his fortune, he took pleasure in giving hospitality to Christians passing through the city. He would take uh, them with him. He would wash their feet. He would serve them as at the table. And he ultimately was chosen as uh, the vicar of Christ on earth. He ascended the papacy on January 31st in the year of our Lord, 314. And he would continue to rule as the Pope of the Catholic Church, until December 31st, 335. So he was a Pope during the early 300s. During his pontificate were built the great churches founded in Rome by Constantine. We have the Basilica of St. John Lateran, uh, the Holy Cross in Jerusalem Church in Rome. We have St. Peter's Basilica 
and several cemeterial churches over the graves of the martyrs were also built during his reign. In the year 325, the Council of Nicaea occurred, and although St. Sylvester did not attend, he sent two uh, legates in his place. St. Sylvester thereafter confirmed the decisions of this first council in the history of the church. Unfortunately, in the 1962 Missal, his feast day was reduced to a mere commemoration since the ferial days in the octave of Christmas were raised to the second class in 1960. Numerous legends dramatize his life and work, how he freed Constantine from leprosy by baptism, how he killed a ferocious dragon that was contaminating the air with his poisonous breath. Such legends were meant to portray the effects of baptism and Christianity's triumph over idolatry, which occurred during his reign. For a long time, the Feast of St. Sylvester was a holy day of obligation, and the Divine Office notes he called the weekdays feria because for the Christian, every day is a free day. The term is still used, thus Monday is feria secunda, and etc. Now, in addition to the Feast of St. Sylvester, which occurs today on New Year's Eve, it should be mentioned that there are two specific indulgences associated with today and tomorrow. So for December 31st, a plenary indulgence is granted when the Te Deum is recited publicly on the last day of the year. Otherwise, a partial indulgence is granted to those who recite the Te Deum in Thanksgiving. And on January 1st, tomorrow, a plenary indulgence is granted when the Vene Creato Spiritus is recited on the 1st of January or on Pentecost. Now, there is, of course, the requirements for obtaining an indulgence. That is, you must do the work while in the state of grace. You must receive sacramental confession within 20 days of the work. You must receive Holy Communion. Uh, one plenary indulgence may be earned per reception of Holy Communion. You must pray for the traditional intentions of the Sovereign Pontiff, um, which, of course, include like uh, the extension of Christianity, the triumph over heresy, uh, etc., and, tr- and peace and concord among nations, amongst other things. So in Our Father, Hail Mary, other appropriate prayers will be sufficient for those intentions and have no attachment to sin, even venial. It is sufficient that the Christian makes an act of will to love God and despise sin. Um, so again, in the show notes, as I'm always accustomed to, you'll have a link so you can go and check out for St. Sylvester's Day on December 31st. There's a link there to New Year's indulgences as well underneath that. So please take a look at that and prepare for these indulgences today and tomorrow. Share them with others, post them online, and let's make sure people understand that these grace-filled opportunities do exist. Now, tomorrow is the Feast of the Circumcision of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it is a holy day of obligation in many countries. It's also the octave day of Christmas. On the octave day of Christmas each year, we recall that our Lord and Our Lady both perfectly observed the law of Moses. On this day, the author of light subjected himself to the law and shed the first drops of his precious blood for our salvation. In the Old Testament law, a child wasn't a son of Abraham or a true part of the family until his circumcision at eight days uh, old, And that's what the Feast of the Circumcision represents. Uh, the circumcision is an external sign in the old law by which the people that they were numbered among the chosen people of God, and now they become by baptism members of the Christian church. That is also why circumcision now for religious region is a serious sin against the first commandment, because it is no longer obligatory whatsoever in any spiritual sense. Um, this was also the time in which our Lord received his holy name. Because Jesus means Redeemer and Savior, he had come to redeem and save the world. And this is the most holy, most venerable, most powerful name by which we can be saved. And I'll be touching on that in more detail uh, regarding the feast day coming up on January 2nd. 
But what else I'd like to add about the Feast of Circumcision is, unfortunately, the name has changed a lot in the Novus Ordo Church. They refer to it as the Feast of Mary, Mother of God. And if we look at the traditional colic prayer for this day, we see it says, O God, who by the fruitful virginity of blessed Mary has bestowed upon mankind the rewards of eternal salvation, grant we beseech thee that we may experience her intercession for us, through whom we have been worthy to receive the author of life, Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, etc. So even the colic refers to Our Lady, and thus, uh, beforehand, the Feast of Circumcision, of course, did recall Our Lady going to the temple, presenting Our Lord there to, for him to shed the first drops of his precious blood for our salvation. The renaming of this particular day, though, uh, to Mary as Mother of God is is certainly concerning. And one of the reasons for that is because there's already a feast day in the church to the maternity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Each year it's celebrated on October 11th, and it was instituted by Pope Pius XI not that long ago in honor of the 15th centenary of the Council of Ephesus. Now, the Council of Ephesus was in the year 431. It dogmatically declared Mary as the mother of God, and this feast day was instituted in the church as a way to thank Almighty God for giving us the most blessed Virgin Mary, who is truly the mother of Jesus, and Jesus is God, and thus she is truly to be called the mother of God. Uh, so many Catholics forget that January 1st is known as the Feast of the Circumcision traditionally, which is quite distinct from October 11th, even though we still, of course, honor Our Lady on January 1st. So something that's been forgotten, really, in the Novus Ordo. Now, January 2nd, the Feast of the Most Holy Name of Jesus. Now, in the uh, Novus Ordo calendar, this is January 3rd. In the traditional calendar, it's interesting. According to the traditional Catholic calendar from 1911 and into the early 1960s, the Feast of the Holy Name of Jesus occurs on the Sunday of January 2nd, January 3rd, January 4th, or January 5th. And when no Sunday occurs in these days, the feast is then celebrated on January 2nd. Before the year 1911, this feast was kept on the second Sunday after Epiphany, so it moved around a little bit. And in the traditional calendar now, for those of us, of course, who go to the traditional Roman Rite, this day also can vary. It's not always January 2nd, but this year, in 2024, it will fall on January 2nd. Now, this is a great feast day for which we can recall the importance of the most holy name of Jesus. Uh, we should recall our Lord Jesus Christ's name often. And in fact, the church teaches that when we hear the name Jesus, we are to slightly bow our head. In fact, it is prescribed in the very rubrics for the for the Mass, that if the priest says the holy name, he is to remove his beretta, you are to remove anything from your, your head if you're wearing a hat, and you are to slightly bow your head. This also occurs whenever the name of Mary is mentioned, whenever Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is mentioned, or whenever the name of the saint in whose honor Mass is celebrated. So, for instance, today, if we were going to Mass, and it was the Mass set of St. Sylvester, and we heard the name Sylvester, we were to bow our head also uh, at that time as well. Uh, unfortunately, that's not really taught anymore, but it's really important that it is done. I recently wrote an article that's going to be published fairly soon on the importance of the Beretta, why priests wear the Beretta, what it signifies as the role of teacher and as the judge and also the importance of why they remove it at times and how it shows us the importance of honoring the holy name of Jesus, of Mary, and of the Holy Trinity when Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are mentioned. Now, Rome extended uh, this feast day. It was inserted into the Roman calendar 
around the time of the early 1700s. In the year 1721, at the request of Charles VI, Emperor of Germany, Pope Innocent XII decreed that the Feast of the Most Holy Name of Jesus should be kept throughout the whole church. He also chose the second Sunday after Epiphany as the day, but as I already mentioned, the feast is now fixed for the Sunday following the circumcision, but of course sometimes can fall on January 2nd, like this year. Uh, if you'd like to learn more information about ways we can traditionally live out the the Feast of Our Lord's Holy Name, again, check the link in the show notes. But one thing we might really want to do, put in your calendar now for January 2nd, to remember to pray the litany of the most uh, holy name of Jesus on January 2nd. Now going on, we have January 5th. January 5th is the traditional vigil of the Epiphany, and it's when the uh, priest would say the solemn blessing of Epiphany water. Now January 5th, uh, as I said, the vigil of the Epiphany is in the traditional Roman rite, in addition to the Byzantine rite. Sadly, in the 1962 Missal, though, it does not preserve this ancient vigil, which was kept up into the changes of 1955 under Pope Pius XII. But those who keep the 1954 calendar and previous retain this venerable vigil. In fact, it is one of the four principal vigils of the entire liturgical year. This is what the website Restore the 54 states, quote, the Vigil of the Epiphany is one of the four major vigils of the year. This is the only vigil which is completely festal in nature and as such is the only vigil without the use of violet and has a full office and semi-double rite, beginning with first vespers. All other vigils, even the other major ones, begin with ma- uh, don't begin until matins, but all vigils without exception and by definition end with none. Now, the Vigil of the Epiphany, January 5th, is actually an ancient day of fasting and absence in some places. Father Weezer, in the Handbook of Christian Feasts and Customs, asserts regarding penance in anticipation for the Epiphany, quote, during the Middle Ages, it had a vigil with fast and absence, end quote. Now, there's not a whole lot of other uh, things, though, that can be said, uh, but the Armenians, for instance, do keep uh, the Feast of the Epiphany as one of their five great festivals with a week's uh, fast in preparation. And they celebrate a solemn octave following, of which the second day is also to them a feast uh, that is a holy day of obligation. Now, the Epiphany of our Lord is the central feast of the Incarnation Cycle which runs from the first Sunday of Advent to Candlemas. Epiphany is not the end, but the apex of this cycle. It brings to full fruition the expectation of Advent's veni domini. Epiphany fulfills Christmas. Our Lord was born in the stillness of the night and manifested his birth only to a few. The Epiphany recounts our Lord manifesting himself human and divine to the whole world, from which point his salvific mission truly begins. Now, there's also the traditional gospel reading for the Vigil of the Epiphany that was in place up until 1955. And sadly, with the changes that occurred in 1955, this passage is not read anymore in the Missal. You won't even find it in the 1962 Missal. And that is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 19 to 23, where it talks about, quote, When Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared and sleep to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and go into the land of Egypt. For they are dead that sought the life of the child, etc. So it talks about the fleeing into Egypt, and at the end it mentions that he shall be called a Nazarene. Now, January 5th is also, as I mentioned, the traditional day in the year for the solemn blessing of Epiphany Water. It's really a beautiful rite, and I'll have a link in the show notes so you can read more about it. In fact, there's also a link to the document 
uh, in Scrib that I had uploaded that you can take and print, but you'll see it has Litany of the Saints in there. It has many different invocations, has the Kyrie, the Anjuste, many psalms are prayed. There's many different prayers that priests would say. In fact, the solemn blessing of Epiphany Water, many people would be surprised, might be 45 minutes in length. But it's truly a wonderful sacramental, and there's a lot of prayers and power associated with this sacramental. The rite was inserted into the Roman ritual in the year 1890, arguably making it the most recent example of the influence of Greek ceremonial on the Roman rite prior to the liturgical reforms of the 20th century. It should be noted that prior to 1819, the solemn blessing of water was already to be found in some diocesan rituals. There were also particularly elaborate forms of this blessing that were used until at least 1890 in some places in Rome. Its text, which is far longer than the 1890 text, even included a lesson and a gospel reading, responsories, a preface, a sanctus, and also very long blessings. Uh, The link that I'll have in the show notes to this is actually in English as well, so that way you can read through. And I hopefully, uh, any priest listening, please prayerfully consider and find a way to offer this traditional ritual this January 5th, this Friday. Now on to the next uh, day, January 6th. I'll only briefly mention it because I already talked about it, and that's the Feast of the Epiphany. The Epiphany on this day and the next seven days which come after it, because the Epiphany is traditionally uh, celebrated as an octave, we remember the three manifestations of our Lord, that is to the Magi who were guided by the great star of Bethlehem. Secondly, through his baptism by St. John when the Spirit of God descended as a dove on him. And thirdly, through his first public miracle, that of the wedding of Cana, the Feast of the of of the Epiphany is a culmination for the Christmas season and one of the major Christian feast days in the entire year. It was a holy day of obligation in the United States until 1885. And as I mentioned, there was a traditional octave of the Epiphany. It's also the ideal day to use blessed chalk and bless your homes with the Epiphany blessing. So please find a priest to, to bless chalk. It can be any kind of chalk. We know simple white chalk is fine for just a few dollars. You can buy it online. He can bless that, and you can take that home then, and you can inscribe above your door the Epiphany blessings after you say certain prayers. This does not have to be done by a priest, but you'll put 20 plus C plus M plus B plus 24. 24 because we are in the year 2024. The 20 of the first because we're it's 20 in 2024, and between it, CMB stands for the initials of the three Magi, Casper, Melchior and Balthazar. Now the initial CMB also stand for Christus Mansionum Benedicat. May Christ bless this house. So there's a wonderful ceremony you can do to say to bless your own homes. And I, I do it every year and I highly encourage everybody to do so. In fact, this is one of the things that I mention in my recent book, Restoring Lost Customs of Christendom. Again, Restoring Lost Customs of Christendom. You can find it on Amazon. It's also available as a PDF in my Patreon store. It's available as a Kindle. Uh, But I talk about all these things, the Feast of the Holy Name, the Epiphany Water. So much more like that is discussed in much more detail in the book. So please pick up a copy if you would like. And the last thing I will mention But as we go on to the very end of this episode, since we're a little pressed for time, I'd like to keep these episodes under 20 minutes. I'll simply direct you in the show notes to my article, Why Catholics Are Not Modern Pharisees. 
So there's a common accusation that Catholics are Pharisees. And what did our Lord do? He criticized the Pharisees quite openly in the gospel. He criticized them for hypocrisy, for legalism, because they were known for a strict adherence to the letter of the law. They were known for pride and self-righteousness and love of public praise. But in each of these vices, our Lord condemned the Pharisees for the love of only the external while entirely lacking the internal, that is, lacking humility, lacking true love of God, care for souls, and growth and virtue. We see this exemplified in the Pharisees' practice of tricking widows to vow their properties to the temple, which would enrich the Pharisees while leaving the widows desolate. Our Lord himself mentions this in Matthew twenty-three fourteen, And they craftily did so in a way not to violate the letter of the law that you'll find in Exodus 22, verses 22 to 23. But through it all, they failed to grasp, love, and practice the spirit of the law. But that being said, there is a rightful authority of the church to issue laws. This command comes from Christ, from his very commission. And it's evident that his followers formed an organized society under the leadership and guidance of the apostles and their successors with the right to teach and to command one another and the duty to be taught and to obey on the other. Now, also, it should be said, divine worship is not pharisaical. Our Lord declared, do not think that I've come to destroy the law of the prophets. I have come not to destroy, but to fulfill. And we see in the Holy Scripture, we see ritual sacrifices offered in the Old Testament, Leviticus 1 through 7. We see temple worship, Exodus 25 through 27. Worship was centered around the tabernacle and later the temple in Jerusalem. The tabernacle and the temple were the designated places for offering sacrifices. We see Sabbath uh, observance, that is Sabbath, the seventh day was a day of rest and worship. We see this in Exodus 20, and we also see the observance of holy days. The Old Testament prescribed various holy days and festivals from Passover, Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles in Leviticus 23. Our Lord himself observed all of these. If you would like to learn more, I highly recommend the book, How Christ Said the First Mass which illustrates our Lord how he in detail instituted the sacrifice of the Mass and how he preserved these laws of old and transformed them into the laws and rituals that we know today. So how should we respond to the accusation that Catholics are pharisaical? Well, it helps to distinguish a few things. One, if the accuser is saying that Catholics, that is, members of the church militant, are guilty of sins of hypocrisy, legalism, self-righteousness, love of praise, well, that certainly might be the case because individual Catholics can certainly fall into sins. None of us are perfect. No one in the church uh, on earth right now in the church militant is free from sin. But with the help of God's grace, we hope to avoid these sins and seek absolution for these transgressions and do better. But if the accuser more likely charges that the Catholic Church herself foster these vices, then the accuser is in gross error. These vices are all in direct contradiction to the teachings of Catholicism and Holy Mother of the Church calls all her children to have supernatural motivations of faith, hope, and charity, and not worldly or merely natural motives. We are all called to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, which is found only in the Roman Catholic Church and all the other rites of the Church, too. But the Catholic Church alone possesses these. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode. Please recommend this podcast to others. Please like it. Please share it. Please subscribe it. Thank you so much for listening. May God grant you a most blessed week, a most prosperous and blessed new year. And as always, Merry Christmas as well, since we are still truly in the octave of Christmas. And let us try for greater holiness this and every other week and into the new year. On my orum, Dei Gloriam.
Oh, no.